Father, we thank you that all scripture is useful for teaching, uh, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Open our hearts to receive your word, that we may know you better and be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The book of Psalms 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, you brought or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are just like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days passed away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Away. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are, not, are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that's your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Psalm 90 was attributed to Moses in the context of the worship used during Old Testament times. Psalm 90 is a communal lament that was used during a time of national disaster or adversity as a prayer to God. In view of the present COVID-19 situation in Melbourne and the world, it is fitting for us to meditate on Psalms 90. Psalm 90 contains the words of wisdom that teach us how to live long, live well, and live wise. It begins by asking the Lord to help us remember that our days are not long on earth, that we are to make the most of them, and that we are to live wisely. At the first look at Psalms 90, it seems somewhat pessimistic. However, as we read it more closely, we will notice that it speaks of realism, not pessimism. And if we are realistic about life, we are better equipped 
to drill with it. Psalms 90 has three major sections. The opening verses 1 and 2 are a hymn of praise to the Lord, while verses 3 to 12 lament that the transitory nature of life. The concluding section of Psalms verses 13 to 17 speak of the restorations of God's favor towards us, his fallen and sinful people. The Psalms opens as it closes, with a powerful reminder that the eternal Lord is our God, and it is in Him alone that we find our hope. Despite the fleeting nature of life and all the suffering and change we must endure, these Psalms remind us that God never changes and that this life is never futile because this life prepares us for eternal life. To live this life is to return to the presence of a Creator and Redeemer, which is why this psalm is so often read or used as a text for Christian funerals. Psalms 90 opens by directing us to the Sovereign Lord who is eternal and the Creator of all things. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. God is our dwelling place, all our habitation. We are creatures bound to both time and place while God is bound to neither. Given the troubles of life and the fact of human sin and weakness, we are directed beyond human existence to that one who created us and who is sovereign over all things. The Lord is a refuge from the harsh environment around us just as he has been for all generations. The vast difference between God and his creatures begins to come into view in verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or even you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. God is eternal, without beginning or end, and immutable, without change. Before anything was created, God already was. But all things which exist were brought forth by God. God created all things, and in Him all things hold together. The closing phrase, you are God, is a confession of faith in the true and living God. There is no God but the Lord God, who created all things, and his people will dwell with him for all generations. God 
is eternal. He is sovereign, meaning he is in control. The person who wishes to live long, well, and wise must acknowledge that God is sovereign and that God is eternal. In verses 3 to 12, the focus of the Psalms dramatically shifts from the greatness of God to the fairity and sinfulness of humanity. The first section, verses 3 to 6, speak about man's mortality, his proneness to death and decay. The point is not merely to contrast the eternality of God with man, but to drive home that man is completely dependent upon the Lord and completely at his disposal. God is eternal. Not so with us. As we read in verse 3, you turn us back to dust and say, turn back, you mortals. We are but dust which reminds us of the fact of Adam's fall into sin and the resulting curse, which is death. Dust we are, and to dust we return. Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. Although it is not stated here, it is certainly implied that our sin is the basis for God's wrath. And it is because of Adam's sins that we will die and return to the dust. In verse 4, the stark contrast between the Lord and his creatures comes into view. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past or like a watch in the night. God is outside of time. He alone is eternal. A thousand years is nothing to God. Here is simply contrasting our nature of being bound by time against God who is eternal and not bound by time. Time is inconsequential to God. While everything in our life is dictated and controlled by time, God is not constrained by such concerns. Our work, our sleep, our eating, our schooling, and everything else in life is complete control by time. It is hard to think of a being that is not controlled by time. Thousands of years are meaningless to God, while to humans, thousands of years are immense. Verses 5 and 6, you sweep them away. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning, it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening, it fades and withers. 
These psalms remind us that we will be washed away by the flood of time. We are bound to time, and time passes. Our lives are like dreams which end each morning when we awake. We are like the tender shoot of a plant, which springs up with the dawn, and then is quickly scorched by the afternoon heat of the sun. We have been put in our place. We are mere creatures. We live for a time, and then we are gone. Just think for a moment. About how many people have lived before us, how many are alive now, and how many are yet to be born. Every one of them have died or will die. The distinction between God and humanity is great, by the very nature of the fact that we are creatures. Man, in contrast to God, is insignificant. Verses three to six reminds us that we are like dust, a watch in the night, a flashed flood, a blade of glass. These are pictures of bravery, underscoring our needs to make the most. Of the present moment, with each image, human mortality becomes more and more terrifying to us. Ultimately, these images explain why we need an eternal refuge. Unless we are rightly related to God, we are nothing. And without a sure hope of immortality, God is our stronghold. He is whom we run to, as we consider our human frailty and our inability to get life right. Time is elusive. Yet there is the additional factor we must consider. As a race, we have in Adam used our creaturely freedom to rebel against our Creator. It is because of human sin that our days are numbered, and we must give an account to our Creator on the day of judgment. We are not only finite; we are guilty. We may take sin lightly, but God does not. We read in verse seven, "For we are consumed by your anger; by your wrath, we are overwhelmed." No one wants to think about the wrath of God, much less face it. But these psalms remind us that God is. Angry with us, and that it is God's holy wrath which brings us to our end. We die because we are sinners, and because we are sinners, we must face the wrath of an angry God on the day of judgment.
our sinful condition is made worse by the fact that there is nowhere to hide. God knows everything about us, including our intentions and even our deepest, darkest secrets. As we read in verse 8, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. God sees those sins we seek to hide. He reveals what we seek to deny. There is a reason for God's wrath and anger against us. God is holy and we are sinful. It is the knowledge of this fact which weighs so heavily upon us. Verse 9 says, For all our days pass away under your wrath. Our years come to an end like a sight. There is perhaps no better, or for that matter, no more troubling description of the futility of life than that found here. The days pass. God's anger against us remains. And we come to the end of our lives with no possibilities of escape. If left on our own without the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. The futility of life is something we all feel at times. At times, it overwhelms us. This sense of utility is captured in verse 10. The days of our life are 70 years, or perhaps 80, if we are strong. Even then, their span is only toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. 80 years seem like such a long time to us. Anyone who dies before they reach the age seems to have been robbed of something. Yet a thousand years pass for God, and it is like one night or a passing dream for us. Our finitude and God's majesty come into full relief in this verse. He is eternal. We will die. The inevitable reality of this smacks us in the face like ice-cold water. We don't want to consider this. We don't want to deal with this. Yet we have all felt it. We all fear it. And we all seek to avoid it. But this is the lot of sinful creatures who have rebelled against the Holy God. Our years will come to an end with a sigh. If we live this life without a sense of what awaits us in the next, then all of life is vanity. We will return to the dust 
as though we never existed. None of us really like to think about the brevity of life. However, God wants us to be mindful that this is not all that there is to life. Our time is only short to serve God and then be held accountable for our actions. It is only when the gleam reality of our true condition is brought to mind that we finally face the truth and are forced to consider what we might do about it. As we read in verses 11 and 12, the good news comes in a declaration that those who fear God and seek His wisdom will find relief from the overwhelming burden of the harsh realities of life and the certainty of death. In this light, this psalm exhorts us to examine ourselves accordingly. Who considers the power of your anger? Your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. So teach us to count our days that we may gain a wise heart. Those who seek to be wise will pray for understanding so that we learn to number our days. Precisely because we don't know how many days will be given us and because of the fact that this life is far shorter than it should be because of the curse. God's people should learn to seek a heart of wisdom so that we can see beyond the futility of life and our fear of God's wrath and begin to grasp the greatness of the Lord as well as the wonders of the next life where the Lord God is our dwelling place. Indeed, the one who seeks such wisdom from God will certainly find it. Here is the answer to human finitude and human sin. In the final section of the Psalms, verses 13 to 17, we find a prayer with three petitions that God restore us to his favor that the Lord restore to his people the joy of their salvation, and then finally that God's people will live their lives in the light of God's favor. These verses implore God to grant his people relief from the sense of futility of life and their fear of God's wrath described in verses 3 to 12. The first petition in verse 13 implores the Lord God to restore hope to us, that God take away the sense of futility of life and the fear of his wrath after death. Recall that in verse 3, God had rebuked 
the fallen children of Adam. Turn back, you mortals. Here, verse 13, cries to God using the same language. Turn, O Lord, how long? Have compassion on your servants. Verse 13 pleads with God to turn to his sinful creatures, even as God commands us to return to the dust. Only this time, not to turn to wrath, but judgment, but to have compassion. Verse 14 continues with a second plea. Certify us in the morning with your steadfast love, so that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Verse 9 tells us that all our days are lived under the cloud of God's wrath. The psalmist employed the covenant to language here. He asked for God hesed, his steadfast love, to be his experience. We know that our time is short, and we feel the futility of life. Yet, because of God's covenant promise, I will be your God, and you will be my people. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 23. Verse 14 implores God to ensure that all our days be joyful. In effect, verse 14 is seeking God to ensure that his people may awaken each day with a profound sense of joy, not with the fear and dread depicted earlier in the Psalms. It prays that as the people of God may rejoice in the knowledge of God's love towards us, and that may we be glad all our days, that is, all the day we live. To put it another way, it prays that the burden of daily life and the fear of God's wrath will be lifted from us. Verse 15, Ask God to make us glad as many days as you have afflicted us, and as many years as we have seen evil. We might paraphrase this prayer as, May the joys of knowing the love of God balance the reality of human sin and frailty. May our trials and suffering be balanced by the joys of life. Verse 16 pleads of the Lord, Let your work be manifest to your servants and your glorious power to your children. What gives us confidence that our prayers will be answered is an awareness that God always keeps His covenant promises. We are not praying to some pagan deity who doesn't exist or who has no real power. We are praying to the Lord God, the Creator and Sustainer of all things. We are praying 
to the same covenant-keeping God who sent His Son Jesus Christ to die for all our sins, and who raised Jesus from the dead for our justification. The psalm concludes by praying, "Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and prosper for us the work of our hands." Oh, prosper the work of our hands. If the Lord's favor rests upon us, then our lives will not be in vain. God will also establish the work of our hands, so that what we do in this life will not be futile. What we do will count for something. There is no doubt. That life is nothing but futility and vanity for those who live out their eighty years and then die, only to face God's wrath and anger for their sins. But those who seek God's wisdom and who knows God's favor through faith in Jesus Christ, the futility of life will disappear. When God answers these prayers, which we find in Psalms ninety, prayers which we too must make our own. Psalms ninety does not have a defeated or bitter tone, only the recognition that man is frail and sinful, and that he needs the eternal God as his only possible hope. And home, these psalms must impress us with the mortality, frailty, and bravery of life. The important principle is this: our lives are in God's hand. We need to confess our dependence upon Him. This is the way of wisdom. We should give due consideration to the reality that we are going to die, and therefore we must make sure that we both live and die well. This is our prayer this morning. God would teach us to number our days. God would show us that our days are few, and that our days matter. And teach us to see that Christ can give us hope in our fewness of days. His end of days on the cross brought us days without end in eternity. His newness of life can bring us hope, in spite of our failures, in spite of our stubbornness, in spite of our sin. In this COVID nineteen situation, we must learn to trust God, believe God is the overseer of our lives. We do not always understand why God allows many things to happen in history. We can't understand why we suffer, but we must trust that God sees the bigger picture, and that our suffering. Is not pointless. He can and does use our struggles for the greater good, and we may never understand how he does it, 
we simply need to trust Him. Now let's the great hymn of Isaac Watts, our God, our help in ages past, remind us what we have learned this morning. And let this hymn be the declaration of our trust in God today. O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. Under the shadow of your throne, your saints have dwelt secure. Sufficient is your arm alone, and our defense is sure. Time, like an ever-rolling stream, soon bears us all away. We fly, forgotten, as a dream dies at the opening day. O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, still be our God while troubles last and our eternal home. Amen. May God bless you.